Hey guys, I'm Megan Smiley and this is The Escape Plan. For those of you who've followed the rules and worked really hard to climb the ladder, but you're looking around thinking, is this it? This is my life? I hear you. You want more. You want freedom, fulfillment, purpose. But you don't see how that's going to happen in the traditional work world. You're entrepreneurship curious, but it seems daunting, risky, and probably unrealistic. But in this podcast, I'm going to help you see just how possible it is to build a business and by extension, the life that you'll genuinely love waking up to every morning. I'm Megan Smiley, your host of The Escape Pod, and this episode is brought to you by my Freedom Business Incubator. It's a three-month one-on-one coaching container where I help you get your entrepreneurial dream off the ground. The first step is clarifying your life vision so that you build a business that supports it. Second, we pick a business plan that is rooted in your unique strengths, interests, and goals so that you're excited and confident about taking this leap. Third, we create a marketing plan to launch your business on the side and create a roadmap for taking it full time. And finally, woven throughout all of this is working through any fears, resistance, or challenges that come up during this process. And believe me, (laughs) they come up for all of us. But we deal with them head on so that nothing gets in the way of you taking this plan and making it a reality. Hey, Jessica, welcome back to the pod. Ooh, thanks for having me, Megan. It's so exciting to be back here. I know. It's so exciting to have you back for for a second visit. And um, so, you know, this episode will be a little different because we've already spoken. So um, maybe just Give us a little bit of your your backstory, but for anyone who wants, you know, the whole sort of life history of for Jessica, uh, there's a previous episode that you can go check out, and I recommend that you do. But um, if you could just give us sort of the short short version of where you started and what you do now. That's right. This is the recap for those just catching the sequel. Hello. Yes. I'm Jessica Medina. <laughs> and I am a former lawyer turned accredited financial counselor. I graduated from Columbia Law School with over $200,000 in student loans. I also graduated as a single mom of twins. So that was super exciting. Uh, and as you can probably imagine, I went straight into big law because what else would I do if I'm raising a family by myself and trying to pay down debt? Uh, but I never really <laughs> wanted to be there. And so I was really frustrated for most of my time. I eventually was able to escape to the government, which had always been my dream job. And then I realized, oh, no, I don't even like being a lawyer. And I had to get out completely, uh, which I did. And now I help other lawyers make similar transitions, whether it's from one law job to a more fulfilling law job or out of the law completely. Awesome. Yeah. And this is such an important piece. And I'm so happy to have you back to talk about it because... It's sort of like always the big elephant in the room when you talk to anyone about making these changes is is sort of it's like, oh, God, that's just an insurmountable mountain of a problem is the the money part. How do I leave this job? The money part. (laughs) And so maybe you can sort of start by telling us kind of in general what a financial advisor does and then more specifically kind of how you work with clients to help them conquer this 
mountain. Sure. And I'm so glad that you called me a financial advisor because this is something that I clarify for folks, uh, you know, all the time in terms of where I sit in the financial industry versus other types of financial professionals. Uh, I used to work the Securities and Exchange Commission, and I think we do a terrible job in the finance industry of educating people about what the different professionals do. As an accredited financial counselor, I really focus on all of the fundamental money habits uh, that, you know, really get you in a position to work to build your wealth. So I help my clients with things like cash flow, paying down debt, saving up to buy a house, saving up for a career transition, making sure that they're going to be, you know, in a good financial place for the rest of their life. But I don't help with things like investments, uh, you know, selling you life insurance. I actually don't sell any financial products at all. All the advice that I give is completely objective. Um, and, you know, in the financial industry, there are so many different types of professionals. You want to be really careful who you're working with uh, because there's salespeople and then there's yeah. fiduciaries. <laughs> I feel like that's such a helpful. It, and I don't know if this is still a thing. I'm sure it is. But I just feel like when I was an associate, I'd get calls like on the weekly from people being like, let me help be your financial plan, whatever. I don't even remember what word they use, but uh, it was definitely more in the sales category. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, it really is kind of there is some sort of a playbook that uh, particularly life insurance agents are given at this first day they you know get on the job and they're given the phone book of all of the law firms in their city and they literally just dial extensions and they start yeah. talking to young associates and they say oh i can help you com you know make a comprehensive financial plan for your entire life and they think they're talking to somebody who really has their interests at heart and i'm not saying that all insurance salespeople are like this they just don't have a legal duty to put your interests before their own so if right. there happens to be a life insurance product or other type of financial product that they earn a huge commission on that might be a good fit or might not for you there's nothing really stopping them from selling it to you uh, right. and so you know this is definitely something that I work a lot with my own clients and with my audience on just educating what the different roles are for different financial professionals. And when I'm working with someone, we're not doing anything on the investment side. I can certainly educate, but I can't, you know, kind of tell you how to allocate your portfolio or anything like that. That is for licensed and registered investment advisors. And everyone in my professional network uh, that I send my clients to once they've graduated out of my services, right. those are all fiduciaries because I just can't imagine wanting to work with anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And really takes like kind of a, a weight off of it because it can be overwhelming to get into this world. And I, I think there's this thought that like, oh, I'm a lawyer. I should be more on top of this shit <laughs> and I should understand it and, and just, letting people know there's no shame and kind of not understanding exactly what you're doing with your money or who to even go to for the kind of help that you need. Absolutely. I was just telling someone the greatest trick lawyers ever pulled on the world was convincing them we were good with money. None of us are good with money. <laughs> but it's this dirty little secret that we carry around because we're supposed to be good at everything, right? Like lawyers right. always have the answers. We're literally paid to be able to answer questions for our clients. Uh, but nobody paid us to go to math school. No one paid us to go, <laughs> right, right. You know, to go to investment Although school. I was a middle school math teacher, so I can do basic algebra. <laughs> 
Well, and that is not helpful. to brag. I, I actually don't do any algebra with my. With my, with my just, it's even it's even yeah. more basic, but yeah, just so I intimidating kid. when they're your numbers, right? It's yeah, having right. to look at your own situation and really, you know, take that same discerning eye that you use on your own clients' facts and circumstances and applying it to your own to really see what's going on and maybe, you know, look under the hood, see where things might need to be tweaked a little bit, especially if you're considering making a big change. Yeah, yeah. So what are sort of the things that people need to be thinking about um, at that stage of just kind of getting getting their arms around their personal finances. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the clients that I work with in particular are ready to make some sort of a career transition. Uh, They're either, you know, done with their life at the law firm or whatever, you know, type of law they're practicing and they want to go into something that's going to be more fulfilling. Maybe the reason they actually went to law school uh, or they want to leave the law entirely. And oftentimes that will involve something along the lines of a pay cut. I can still work with people who are just going to make gobs and gobs of money for the rest of their lives. It's honestly just not as interesting for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that being said, right. With, just as with anything, uh, financial planning is similar to a lot of the other planning that, you know, you might do when you're planning on what is your next job going to be? Uh, you know, what, what do you want your family to look like? And so when I'm working with my clients, Although they always want to get into the numbers immediately, we have to pump the brakes and say, let's figure out where you are trying to end up, right? Begin with the end in mind is a wonderful way to approach most of the big life problems. That's why it's so famous. Uh, yep. They use seven, uh, seven habits, but um, it really yep. I mean, that's the first step I have people do too. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, you want to be sure you're setting your GPS correctly. <laughs> Exactly. Because if, you know, there's all different types of financial strategies that we could implement, but if we don't know where you're trying to end up, then, you know, we might take a really long road that is unnecessary. We might put you through some financial hardship that you don't need to go through if you don't really have a financial goal like that. And so I always want to find out from my clients, you know, all right, most of the time they know they're unhappy. They might not really have a good idea of where they want to go next or what exactly they want to do. But sometimes they at least have an idea, you know, what do you want your life to feel like in the future? Do you want to be doing more fulfilling work? Um, Do all of those potentials involve some sort of, you know, a lower salary or a pay cut from what you're making right now? Do you want to work in a different but still lucrative industry? Do you want to take sabbaticals abroad? Do you want to have more time at home with your family? Uh, Do you want to live somewhere else than you're living now? These are, you know, they, they are all financial questions at some level because money touches everything. Uh, but, yeah. you know, they feel more like life questions. And so that's always where I start with my clients. And this is one of the benefits of being an accredited financial counselor. Uh, not, I'm not only good with numbers, I'm also good with people. And yeah. that's really, you know, I think the difference between working with someone like me versus just kind of talking to your accountant about what you should be doing with your money. Uh, they can crunch all the numbers for you, but we really want to get at where are you trying to end up and what's going to be important to you along the way. Most importantly, what do you not want to give up on that journey? So we can make yeah. sure that we plan for it. Yeah, it sounds like sort of a holistic approach to it. I'm actually just recently, this is like kind of an aside, but I like just have this like, fatigue issue I've been trying to figure out I go to doctor doctor and doctors just have a very formulaic thing so I started going to this 
functional medicine person because they do kind of in this realm what you're talking about doing in the finances is treating the whole person like mm-hmm. getting all of the pieces of the puzzle together to create a good plan rather than just sort of snippets of of expertise yeah and i i do think that you know um there's always a time for a specialist right and i i mean i am kind of a specialist i specialize in mm-hmm. career transitions right right um i don't help everyone with every single money problem uh but that being said whenever you're making these big life decisions, you, everything is interconnected. And so, you know, I don't want to come up with a financial plan that's going to get you into, you know, a more fulfilling job, but you're going to lose your home along the way. Right. Like these are the kinds of things that you have to think about. And just like our body is all connected. Yes. All the different aspects of our money is connected and we have to kind of, you know, not push too hard on the water balloon and have it just pop up somewhere else. Right. Um, I also love this exercise with my clients because I think it's so important, especially for lawyers, to get the dreaming part of your brain engaged. Mm. We spend so much of our time in the analytical space. Um, It can be very easy for us to go, you know, surgically into the details. And I have a lot of people who come to me, you know, and we have, we talk on the phone just to see if we're going to be a good fit. And they want to talk about, you know, exactly how much credit card debt they have and, you know, exactly how much they owe in student loans uh, or exactly how much their mortgage is right now. And I say, all of that is all fine and good. First of all, I'm not doing any math on this call. That's not going to be good for you or for me. (laughs) Yeah. These things, we can deal with all the numbers, but we're going to have to dig a little bit. And I'm going to need you to imagine what's possible because I'm going to ask you to change some things about your life. And that's hard to do if you don't have something that's really exciting waiting for you on the other side. So I think this work is so important because once my clients can start to imagine a life different than the one they're slogging through every day, it makes yeah. all of the smaller steps, the real work, right? The day-to-day yeah. money habit change. It makes that so much easier because we know exactly why we're doing it and why it's going to be worth it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Setting that sort of, you know, vision for what you want is going to be your why. It's going to be your fuel. Um, and without it, it's really hard to to make changes in any in any sphere, especially when it requires some things that are might be challenging. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So once you've sort of worked with them to figure out what their broader vision is, how do you start working them through some of the more um, mechanical details? You see, exactly. Everyone hopes that at some point we'll get to numbers. There's one more thing we have to go through. I know. Shame um, on me. Right, but part of it is, of course, we want to have right. We want to have our vision, and I love talking to my clients about where they want to end up. I never want to skip the step of talking through how they got to where they are, um, mm. and that is part of the counseling aspect that I offer. You know, I think that there's so much shame around money. And we've talked a little bit about how lawyers in particular feel like, oh my gosh, I definitely should have had this together by now. Uh, I I have a JD, so I should be a financier as well. Uh, Right. Right. Or at least I should be like a proper adult. (laughs) (laughs) Some some baseline, right? Basic basic money skills. Yeah. Um, And so I always want to have conversations with my clients about you know, what were the habits? What were the behaviors that they saw when they were growing up? What was money like in their family? What are some, you know, big money decisions that they maybe wish they had treated differently? And what kinds of things are they really proud of? 
what kinds of things yeah. do we want to keep, right? What do we want to, what do we want to lean into even more as we continue our work together? Um, because yeah. I think that as much as I would love to just teach everyone my amazing systems and strategies to fix everyone's money, if we don't address why you did things a particular way in the first place, it's just going to repeat itself. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like we need to spend a lot of time, you know, wallowing in the, you know, my $4,000 of express credit card debt because I was in college and I feel like they prey on college people. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> uh, but it is important for me to understand how I got to where I was and see if any, you know, if any of those behaviors still serve me. Probably not. Uh, but I do want to examine them. And then I want to be able to move forward for, with a clean slate. But I don't yeah. want to just kind of, you know, stick them under the rug and have be, have it be that thing that, you know, we never talk about. Um, this is not a we don't talk about Bruno situation. I don't know how many of your right. your, uh, your audience <laughs> is obsessed with Encanto. But <laughs> I feel like I haven't even seen it, but I watch enough TikTok and general like sort of social media that it has now, you know, come to me via <laughs> I, uh, that route. That's right. This is going to date the podcast episode, but we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. We don't talk about money. Uh, right, right. We actually talk well, about all of it. And I c one thing that just pops up for me is um I know this was sort of true of me, and I think it is true of a lot of people, is that when you are uh very unhappy in your job, you tend to try and, you know, mask that with things that often are you know, expensive. So, you know, the, the shopping habits of, of lawyers and, you know, the going out to eat and drink and the traveling when you can get away to do it. You know, I think, you know, there's this often a sense of, well, everything about my work life sucks. So I deserve to treat myself in all these other arenas. And you often have the money to do that. Is that something you see with people? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I think, you know, there's a term out there in the financial world called the golden handcuffs. And the traditional definition of that is the pension that the company gives you if you've worked there a certain number of years, right? The benefits that you yeah. only get if you stay around long enough to receive them. But the way golden handcuffs show up for lawyers is exactly as you described, Megan. It's the yeah. self-soothing activity, right? It's the money that you have to spend because you work a 24-7 job, right? It's the money that you spend because you deserve it. You work really yeah. hard. You went to school for a really long time. It, you know, isn't this how professionals behave? Aren't these the things that, you know, uh, experienced professionals have in their life? And once we start examining all of the costs associated with just being unhappy in your job, it's actually surprising how much money you can save by yeah. getting a job that actually fulfills you. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for your budget. Because if you're not trying yeah. to fill your day with happiness from these other things, because you are actually, you know, you're happy when you leave work at the end of the day, then you don't have to drown yourself in alcohol and coffee. Those are my vices. Uh, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, whatever, whatever your vice may be, uh, you start to get that fulfillment from other places and you, you don't need to rely on those crutches as much. And it really, it, it really can make a huge difference. Yeah, I love to hear that from someone who actually sees sort of the details of someone's finances, because it feels like that is true. And I say that to people that, you know, there's a people worry when they transition into entrepreneurship that, you know, of course, they worry about 
making enough money to not have to shift their lifestyle like too dramatically. Um, and it, you know, it's always been my impression and my experience that, you know, when you are able to let go of some of those self-soothing costs, like it shrinks the gap that you're trying to fill. So it's just good to hear that from someone who sees this on a regular basis, that that does tend to be true. Absolutely. And yes, I see all kinds of things in the lawyer budgets. There is nothing that anyone could show me that would be at all embarrassing or unique. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we won't ask for all the secrets, but you'll tell me later. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) We can talk about numbers. (laughs) I was about to say, I was like, am I going to jump the gun again? But I was going to say, now do we get to talk about numbers? (laughs) Yes, it's time. It's time. So when the next, you know, once we've yeah. done some of the division uh, the work and some of, you know, cleaning up the past emotional work, yes, we now have to deal with some financial strategies of actually working through your numbers. And, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that you can attack it. But, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I have a fairly analytical mind. So I have a fairly analytical way that I go, <laughs> go through things yeah, yeah. with my clients when, you know, I'm trying to get them to the next phase of their life. And so when you're thinking about, you know, specifically, you know, your financial past, what have you brought to the table that you're still dealing with? Um, The big one for a lot of my clients is student loans. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. God bless anyone who got out of law school without student loans. I actually have some clients like that. And the the discussions that we have are completely different um, because they, they are not carrying around such an overwhelming debt. But when you are, you know, it can be really, uh, it can be crippling to think about how you're going to deal with it. Uh, that's the reason why I went to a large law firm after law school. I thought there was just no way that I could possibly deal with my student loan debt otherwise. Uh, and it prevented yeah. me from doing things that I otherwise would have done with my legal degree. Um, and so, you know, I think with my clients, it, it really does depend on so many factors. What is going to be the best student loan repayment strategy for you? I actually created an entire 10-day email series about it because it really is that in-depth. Uh, there really yeah. aren't that many questions you need to ask yourself, but there are strategies and they don't all involve paying off all the debt. And so, you know, I mean, that's uh, huge. And I hope people, I'm just going to stop you there just to be like, hear what Jessica just said, because I think that some people just see this problem and just make an assumption that it is an insurmountable problem. I can't, there's almost like no way to manage it. You're just a a victim of that situation <laughs> and it's happening to you. And not to say that there aren't, you know, challenges to whichever of the way ways you choose to manage it, but there are ways to manage it that will move you forward towards a goal rather than just staying where you are and just kind of not dealing with it at all. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many people who come to me and, you know, I always ask people, even when I'm just, you know, kind of doing the first consult, okay, so what do we do? What are we dealing with student loan debt? Uh, And many people don't even know, right? They haven't looked. Um, It's that overwhelming and it's that stressful for them. 
but I want everyone, all of your listeners to know that there are repayment strategies for everyone at every income level, at every debt level. And it really is a matching game of, you know, income level, debt level, career trajectory, and other financial obligations that you may have coming up in your future. And we look at all of those things. We compare the different repayment strategies and we figure out what's going to work best for you now and what's going to work best for you into the future. Uh, Because there's, there's only a few irreversible decisions that you can make with respect to student loan debt. And we just Mm -hmm. want to make sure that if you make them, it's for a really good reason. (laughs) Right, right. But otherwise, there really is a lot of flexibility, especially if, you know, you graduated, you know, after the, after 2005, when um, grad plus loans came in and the vast majority of people's debt, it sits in the federal loan sphere. There's a lot of creative strategies that we can implement. Uh, And so, you know, I think that that is always a big one, but not everyone has student loans. So although I could literally... Can I ask you one more question on the student loan front? Um, So, you know, for a lot of the people I'm working with, it's people who want to get out of traditional work environments altogether and are playing with the idea of entrepreneurship. And, you know, uh, assuming that, and it is my belief that if you do it, do it well, you can you can create a vibrant, you know, healthy financial situation with a a business of your own. But there is this middle ground, there is this kind of uncertainty of, okay, I could plan if I knew exactly that this was going to be my job for the next 30 years, but I want to do this thing. And there's so many question marks around the transition into entrepreneurship. And how do you help people sort of, is there a special approach to, to working with that debt in the light of a certain level of uncertainty about what your trajectory is. Yeah. And I think this is why it's so important to not only think about what is the best strategy for you today, but what is that, what is that strategy still going to make sense five years from now? Right. A lot of my clients are sitting at big law firms. And so, you know, and they're making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars right now. I think the starting salary Mm -hmm. is up above 200,000 for a first year. Uh, So, you know, it may look on paper like refinancing your student loans, getting that interest rate down as low as possible and paying them off as quickly as possible is going to be the best financial route. But that doesn't make sense if you're planning on leaving in a year. (laughs) It's going to be a very bad position for you to be in if you are no longer making that kind of money. So although it might look like that's the best strategy on paper today, you have to take into account some of the variability in the future. And that's why I was saying, you know, there's very few irreversible decisions that you can make in the student loan world. It, you know, debt at at the student loan level is actually much more flexible than a lot of other types of debt because there are so many protections in place. And so, especially when I'm dealing with entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs have a lot of benefits that they can take advantage of with respect to, you know, massaging their student loan debt journey. Uh, You know, especially if they're dealing with federal loans, if you're in an income driven repayment plan, your student loan monthly payment will be a direct reflection of how much income you are making. If you're not making a lot of money as a budding entrepreneur, you're not going to owe a lot toward your student loans. Now, is that balance going to grow? Yeah. Is it going to be scary to watch? Maybe. Uh, But the choices (laughs) are going to be either you will get that balance forgiven at some point in the very far future after making payments that are commensurate with your income, 
or your business will go gangbusters and you'll have so much money. You can just pay off your student loans because you're just going to take a huge owner distribution one year and you're going to be celebrating in Cabo and you're going to pay off your student loans. So, you know, I love that. I love that vision for us. Right. I mean, and so, (laughs) yeah, there's a, there's a lot of times where I'm having conversations with clients where, you know, we say, okay, this is the best strategy for right now. We're going to reevaluate next year. Because it might, you know, everything might not look the same. And as long as we don't make any moves that we can't, you know, back out of or pivot from, then we can make a new decision when circumstances change. And I think that, you know, people think of debt, whether it be student loan debt or consumer debt or, you know, their mortgages as these static things that once you sign on the dotted line, you are locked in forever and you can never make any changes. And that is another myth of the financial world. Because yeah. people are trading debts back and forth. The banks do it, right? Right? Yeah, <laughs> the, exactly. The, the other secret is that we can do it too. Uh, I've had so many clients you know, refinance their debt through the pandemic because interest rates are just in the toilet right now. Uh, and they've saved yep. hundreds of thousands of dollars by doing nothing other than signing on a dotted line. This was fake yeah. money that they just saved themselves, right? I mean, it's not fake because it was going to come out of their pockets, but it really just disappeared into thin air. Um, right. And so I think, you know, applying some of those principles to long-term strategies when you're thinking about a non-traditional career trajectory is really important, but also frees you from that prison of thinking, you know, oh my goodness, this $2,000 student loan payment that I have right now is going to be with me forever. And I probably won't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful and sort of soothing to hear, I think, probably for a lot of a lot of people. I never um, knew that. And, and just like don't let it be the the thing. I just actually recorded another podcast, just a solo one about um is that true? Asking yourself the question, is that true? <laughs> and I feel like this is a good example of it. I, I have this student debt, I have this two thousand dollar payment. There's no way I could do entrepreneurship. Is that true? No. Well, Jessica just told us it wasn't true. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that 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 is, you know, probably one of the biggest uh, issues and hurdles that um, my clients in particular need to overcome. But, you know, even for the ones who don't have student loans, and that's not their main worry. uh, The other things that people need to work through is any other consumer debt that they might be carrying, credit cards, Mm -hmm. car loans, uh, boat loans. Uh, you never know what we're dealing with out there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, loans to family members from when they were in school, all of that, yeah. you know, we do want to be strategic about how we attack that as well. And there's, there's so many books on, you know, debt pay down strategies. So I'm not going to belabor those points here. All we want to do is make sure that whatever strategy we pick, again, fits with, you know, what's, what's going to work for you currently. And also it's going to work as you move through other phases of your life. And so I am not of the, uh, you know, the Dave Ramsey school of, you know, no debt is good debt. I believe that debt is a tool. We obviously use it, the majority of us, to get our law degree in the first place. Uh, And our law degrees often serve us pretty well, (laughs) even if we're not, you know, practicing attorneys anymore. Uh, And so, you know, there are ways to strategically use debt. There's also ways to strategically restructure your debt so that it doesn't become this thing that kind of drives the bus for all of your finances. But thinking through that, you know, yes, there are, there are numbers involved. We're going to do some crunching. We're going to figure out, you know, 
what is the cost of extending the timeline of paying down this debt? Uh, but we also want to balance it against other financial priorities that you might be working through. And we don't want one aspect of your finances to overshadow everything else, because that's usually not a number situation. That's usually an emotional situation. And yeah. that's why it's so yeah. important for us to have those early conversations so that we're not letting our emotions run the strategies. Yeah. And I think like on the emotional front, it's also, I think there is this like fear and shame around not understanding and, or, you know, it's kind of the like ostrich with your head in the sand kind of a vibe of, I just don't even want to look at it because there's some fear around that. But then actually when you, when you sit down and look at the numbers, instead of them being more scary, it's often that your understanding of it helps you see that it's not as bad as you thought it was. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think there's a single lawyer out there that, you know, is more afraid of anything than the unknown, right? That is our greatest fear. We can deal with things that we know. We right. we can address right right really make this a known for yourself yeah right we we yeah. know how to crack the best response if we know what we're dealing with it's when we don't know what we're dealing with that we start spinning out and we start you know yep. sticking our head in the sand or you know doing crazy things because we think it will be helpful because we read somewhere on Twitter that we should do this thing um, and so you know it is really important to just get that clarity. Uh, yeah. And that is actually, that is the next thing that we, we work on in terms of, you know, making, making sure that we know what's going on with you now and what's going to be going on in the future is figuring yeah. out what is actually happening with your money right now. Yeah. Because most of us don't know. We have absolutely no idea. And it seems right. overwhelming to try to figure it out. So is that sort of just looks in like sort of actually looking at your statements and where your money's going in the current moment? We, we will have to look at some things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> we do. We do have to gather some information. Yeah. Um, I actually, when, uh, when my clients sign on with me before I will even sit down with them, I send them a bunch of homework. Uh, and many of my clients tell me it is so enlightening and it's just, it's such a wonderful process to go through because they've been so afraid right? To even sit down and look at it. I'm not saying that, you know, it it doesn't take time. It does, especially if you do it right, but it's so worthwhile and information that you can then use moving forward for the rest of your life. This is not something that you have to redo every month, you know, uh, you know, re-looking at your numbers. And so we just want to get a snapshot of what's happening with things so that we can do some real analysis and figure out, uh, you know, I can't, I, I have to say, I have a good portion of my clients. I get to tell them, you are not doing nearly as badly as you think you are. You know, they come yeah. to me and they're like, oh, I spend so much money going out. I know that I, like my, my restaurant budget is just like horrible. Is, is this what you see with other lawyers? Like, is this, is it really yeah. bad? And then when we finally <laughs> pull everything together, it's a fraction of where their money's going. And, you know, things yeah. are tight. Because they're saving in their 401k, they're paying extra toward their student loans, they're paying extra toward their car payment, they're paying extra on their mortgage. And they didn't realize it because they've just been beating themselves up thinking that every time they ordered out because they were stuck at the firm late, it was a bad thing. So this is why those numbers can be so powerful. Number one, if something's going on that we need to fix, we're going to see that. But if you're doing things right, 
you get to see that too. And you get to pat yourself on the back and stop beating yourself up all the time and just move forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it can be so empowering to, to have that information. Oh, I, I, I definitely think so. And I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, my clients, there's this audible sigh of relief when I show them what's going on with their money, regardless of what the answer is, because now they know. And now we can talk about what needs to change, what gets to stay the same. uh, And they get to do it from a place of knowledge, as opposed to just a place of fear of the unknown and fear that they've been doing something wrong their entire lives. And they just know it uh, when it's actually not true. Yeah. And like, you know, I think this part is very helpful. Like I know for myself, when I was thinking about making a transition into entrepreneurship, one of the things, one of the questions is, well, how much money do I actually have to make to like bridge my gap? (laughs) Basically, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, and having that, you know, I had been tracking my spending for years. So it was pretty quick to be like, I I need this much money per month. That's how much I need to make or save or plan for. And just a, that number is probably lower than you think. (laughs) And B just having it in hand and knowing with confidence that like, this is your number. Also, I think makes you feel like you have more options and you'll know when you're ready to to take a leap to, you know, making your side hustle full time or, you know, whatever you want to plan around that. But just knowing that number is so important. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, the one of the, the top questions that I get when people reach out to me is I just don't know how much I need to earn in my next job. And I'm paralyzed at looking at jobs because when I look at the listing, I can't tell if it's something that is going to like lead me to financial ruin and, you know, put my family under distress or if we could actually make it work. And so, you know, somebody like you who has been right tracking their spending and has a pretty good sense of exactly what they would need to bring in is in a great position. A lot of the folks that I work with are in the middle of so many transitions right? It's yeah. not just that yeah. they're looking for a new job or looking to start their own business. It's that they're also looking to buy a house. They're also looking you know, to make sure that they're saving enough for long-term financial goals uh, or they're considering moving uh, or want right. to know if they have to move <laughs> in order to afford yeah, yeah. Know, to leave their job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it's that conflation of all of these variables that again, adds up to this, you know, vague unknown soup that looks very murky and it's going to take too long to figure it out. And, you know, where do they even start? And so they just don't even start and you just get stuck in the worry phase. But once we start doing that work and obviously, you know, my clients benefit because I do some work for them, but you know, (laughs) once you actually get that work, (laughs) get it going. And you have, you know, some good numbers that you're working with, even if these are estimates, right? I don't, I can't predict the future, but right. I have pretty good insight into what a lot of futures look like and what a lot of my other clients look like. So I have points of reference um, yeah. and using those to put together actual potential scenarios gives so much comfort to people because it provides yeah. a benchmark and it really just provides an anchor that they can then use yeah. to see opportunities that didn't look like opportunities before, right? Something that they would have just glossed over because, oh, there's no way that I could possibly take that job or there's no way that I could afford to like, you know, to move there or do whatever financial move would be necessary. Now they have a much better gauge of whether that is possible or not. And I can't tell you there's something 
in the universe that once you unlock it in your own brain, the universe just sends all that stuff to you, right? It's that same phenomenon. As soon as you decide what kind of car you want to get, you see them everywhere. As soon as you decide how much you think you need to earn, what is the range? Those opportunities are going to appear before you in all different types of ways because you're going to be tuned into them now. Right, right. You'll recognize them. It really opens up things that people were absolutely blind to before. And that's really exciting because then they just keep telling me about all of the jobs that they're interested in and all of the offers that they're considering. And we get to actually learn. Yeah, that's awesome. Very empowering. So where do you go from there with people? So I do, uh, you know, in addition to looking at how they're doing with their money, we spend some time figuring out what do they need to do to optimize what they have going on right now, especially if they're considering a transition. Uh, I always Mm -hmm. tell people, look, big law can be, you know, the greatest burden or the greatest opportunity. We want to turn it into an opportunity and we don't want to waste it. So let's get the most mileage out of however long you're planning on staying and use that money in a way that prepares you for your next step. And so that might mean, you know, dumping extra into long-term savings. It might mean making some headway on your student loans or not. Uh, it might mean, <laughs> it might mean yeah. getting, you know, certain financial benchmarks before you make that move. Now, I have clients that come to me who, you know, their hair's on fire and they, you know, they're giving notice the next week and they really need a plan. Um, and so we don't have a lot of time to optimize what they have going on. We just, you know, make a plan right. with whatever they have. But when people come to me and they really don't know exactly when they want to leave, they just know they don't want to stay where they are forever. We have some time and I get to tell them, all right, well, if you stay for another year, this is where you'll be. And this is what you'll be able to do. If you stay for free, this is where you'll be. And this is where what you'll be able to do if you stay for five, right? It's having that information that makes those decision points so much more comfortable because then you know what the opportunity cost is of leaving versus staying. And that, I think, is what jams people up so much, right? We know we want to leave, but we don't know when the right time to leave would be because we don't know where we should be financially before we go, other than this yeah. you know, amorphous, I don't know, rich, More. should we be rich before yeah. we leave? I don't feel <laughs> yeah. rich. I, uh, I guess I shouldn't I should yet. never. I should be in a position where I don't have to make one more dollar after leaving here, so I know with 100% certainty that I will be okay. <laughs> exactly. If, if that is the standard, my clients yeah. would not leave when they leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, I think that that is part of the work that we do, right? Optimizing what they have going on. And then because I work with my clients for, you know, at least six months, I'm not in it just, you know, to give people instructions and send them on their way. I want them implementing these changes. I want them starting to use the strategies and I teach them how to manage their money in a way that they can actually tell whether or not they're staying on track with what we've planned for or Mm -hmm. whether they're heading off the rails a bit and we need to, uh, we need to pivot back and uh, steer a different direction to get ourselves back on track. So I teach them a cash management system that does not rely on spreadsheets or apps or any type of meticulous tracking. Uh, As you know, many lawyers track every Mm. minute of every day. And the idea of tracking every dollar is just, they, they couldn't think of anything worse. So I don't require my clients to do that. But I want the system that we set up to be clear enough that you can see if you're on plan or off yeah. plan and decide whether you're okay with that or not. Right. Because if you yeah. go off plan yeah. for something that's really important to you, great. That's the whole point. The point is to do it, things with your money that are really important to you. 
But if yeah. you're going off plan for something that, you know, you've already decided, oh, this is not worth it, then we need to, you know, do another values check. And we might need to right. adjust things moving forward. But I want that to be very clear. And for a lot yeah. of my clients, um, their money is so muddled up uh, between different accounts and credit cards and money coming in and money going out. And it's very, very difficult to see when they have true extra money, right? True surplus, yeah. as opposed right. to money that they should be spending on something that's coming up. They just can't tell. Um, right, so right. do that yeah. work to clarify that. And once... You're, once you have a very clear sense of when you have extra money, you get to throw that extra money at the things that are most important to you. And that's when the magic really starts happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all just, it sort of sounds like it's all about being mindful and purposeful and doing things by design rather than default, <laughs> you know, just the things you pay attention to are the things that grow. <laughs> yeah. There's so much of, that I do that is very similar to the work that you do with your clients. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just our, like, yeah. From that perspective. Yeah. Right. We, it's <laughs> funny. We end up using a lot of, you know, similar phrasing and there's similar motivations, but that's because money isn't particularly special. It just feels a little more complicated because there's a lot at stake. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so much fear that if you make the wrong move, you're going to end up in financial ruin. And that's not only uncomfortable objectively, it's also, you know, ugh, you were an, you were a lawyer. How did you mess that up? Like, really? right, I right. feel like we hold ourselves to such a higher standard than pretty much the rest of the entire population. Like everybody else gets to make mistakes. I mean, yeah, we are like A plus students at stressing ourselves out. <laughs> we're so good at everything. We're so good at stressing Oh, exactly. A plus plus in all categories, especially anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I saw a friend from law school this weekend and I was just like, or that I used to work with and I'm just like, man, yeah. And he's still practicing. I'm like, wow, you're just so stressed. You're so highly stressed. (laughs) Yep. We're really good at everything. (laughs) Yep. Yep. But it's, it's, you know, like you said, money, you know, we worry about money because what it means for the rest of our life, right? Not just because like in a vacuum you want to accumulate all the money, right? It 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 it's a proxy for what else you're able to do in a life and what you want your life to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's true and I think that, you know, especially for those of us that end up in the big law world, our 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 idea and our perspective on money can become warped very quickly. Right. Yeah. When uh, when you're in an environment where the only way someone knows how to compensate you is through money. Right. You don't get any other benefits. They don't help you with health care. They don't contribute to your yeah. 401k for you. You don't get any time off. Like there is no benefit other than throwing more money at you. Then that becomes the value system. Right. But if you really think about what's important to you in your life, making you know more and more money often is not the end goal, certainly for anyone that I work with, but for the vast majority of people who practice law. I mean, law is a laudable career. It's based on virtue, right? (laughs) And like doing good in the world and protecting (laughs) people and service. And yet it gets warped into this thing that's all about money. And that's the only way, that's the only tool that some firms use to, you know, placate their you know, their associates. And so the associates then understand, oh, money is the only thing that's important in the world. 
No, it's yeah. not. It's not even the most important thing in the world. Uh, and I have yeah. a financial counselor, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. But changing that perspective, I think, you know, is really important work. And, um, and it does help then, you know, create this dynamic where, okay, if just amassing money is not the end goal, um, maybe we'd be happy with a little less. Maybe we can figure out exactly how to have the life that we want and not have to feel like we have to earn, you know, the, the gobs and gobs. Now, if you do and you're doing something that you love, that that is the dream, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm not on – I always say I'm like, I'm not on a mission to have people be in poverty. That's not what I'm advertising. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that we have set up this universe where where we have trained our minds to believe that the one way you have money and stability is through this very high stress job. <laughs> and those two things become locked in each other and, and separating out the idea that like you can have enough money and live the life you want and do work that you like. Those things can all coexist. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that's when we get to, you know, kind of, okay, what do we do about your future? Right. How do we deal yeah. with the financial unknowns of what's going to be coming around the bend if you are going to yeah. be going through all of these transitions? Right. You are going to leave the job that you that you've been at that has been providing all of your financial stability. Maybe, you know, maybe you're going to try to buy a home because you're at that point in your life. Maybe you're starting a family or continuing on and growing your family. Um, maybe you're taking care of parents that are getting older. You know, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of my clients are, you know, in um in their late 20s, in their mid 30s, I have clients, you know, all the way through their 50s, they're all at different stages of life. But every stage of life has its own challenges. And so we just want to start preparing. What are the different phases that you're going to go through? And, you know, once we've done the all the work to optimize as much as we can, whatever you have for your current situation, how can we best prepare for what's going to be coming in the future? And so we do want to look at, you know, things like how much do you need to earn to maintain your lifestyle, right? Your lifestyle, once we've evaluated it as if you were happy, not your unhappy lifestyle, your happy lifestyle. What is that? (laughs) What kinds of of things will go away once you are no longer working at a 24 seven job? Will you need that extra six hours of daycare? Will you need to live in a major metropolitan area, you know, right next to your law firm? Uh, Will you need to order out every meal every day because you have no time to cook or prepare any food? Right. Um, for me, it was like, will you have to send your dog to doggy daycare five days a week from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m.? That was doggy expensive. daycare <laughs> and child daycare are equally expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I feel for pet owners, you don't even get a tax deduction. It's really rough out there. It was really expensive. <laughs> but so, you know, having answers to those questions, that's the core of the strategy work that I do for my clients. And in order to mm-hmm. answer them, we are going to have to take some guesses, right? There's yeah. no way for me to predict the future, um, but I can certainly make a best guess that's going to be based on actual real life situations, right? And actual financial knowledge. Uh, but so thinking through if, you know, what is your future salary going to be? Is it not only, you know, sometimes uh, thinking through just kind of like how much money do you need for your expenses, but thinking about, uh, you know, ratios of how much of your future salary do you want going toward bills that you actually have to pay versus, you know, 
money for your future versus money that is just to enjoy life. That's a really great way and a framework that I use with my clients, not only when we're evaluating their current money situation, but also helping us evaluate future job opportunities. We've already talked about the golden handcuffs and all the things that can change when you actually leave the soul-sucking job that is killing you and making you spend money in areas that you wouldn't normally. Um, But another, uh, another concept that I discuss with a lot of my clients is the concept of FIRE. It's the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement. And this is one of the most exciting things that I can talk to lawyers about. Uh, I think the FIRE movement gets a bad rap because it's primarily run by like software engineers that there's like 20 people living in a studio apartment, eating rice and beans every day and retiring Mm -hmm. at 30, but that's not really a life for anyone or certainly any of us. Uh, But there are a lot of strategies within the FIRE movement that work really well for attorneys. And some of them focus on, you know, being really aggressive with your long-term financial planning early in your career when you're making, you know, possibly the most money that you may make across your career. And then allowing that early work to pick up the slack for when you are in parts of your career transition where you might not be able to save as aggressively. That early work, that time in the market is much more powerful than, you know, being 55 years old and trying to save up for retirement then. And so, you know, being aware of those strategies and understanding how powerful they can be and starting to take advantage of them can really alleviate the pressure that a lot of my clients feel that they'll never be able to reach all of their savings goals across their entire career unless they have that, you know, typical American career trajectory that looks like a straight mountain from low point to high point. When you're leaving your big law job, you might peak early (laughs) in terms of income by design. And then you might take a dip and then you might come back up later But you want to be prepared for those phases. And you also want to be comfortable that if you take your foot off the gas in some areas for some phases of your life, you're still going to be okay. It's not going to break anything. And so we prepare for that. Uh, And a lot of, you know, the work that I did in the fire movement with my own finances created this freedom that I have now where I could leave the practice of law entirely at 38 years old. I could start my own business. I am now about to embark on a two month RV trip uh, going out west. I love it. (laughs) To visit all of my clients and go to some financial conferences because that's what we financial coaches do. You need to come all the way west. Oh, I am. Oh, Megan, I'm coming to see you. I will be in California. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally. This is a totally personal comment, but I also meant to tell you that I will be in DC soon. If you're still around, I might be able to catch up. Oh my you. goodness, this is so amazing! Yeah. And what's really, really funny is if we completely miss each other. As That's probably what will happen. <laughs> but Megan, I am always happy to hang out with you. I will find you wherever you are in the country. You are that special to me. <laughs> but so those, you know, the fire movement yeah. really is very powerful. And I think that, um, you know, not enough lawyers know about it. <laughs> and everyone should know about it. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm married to someone in tech, but I feel like everyone, it does feel like it's something for other people that are not like us somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, pe- people with, you yeah. know, uh, respectable careers aren't interested in retiring early. But retiring early can be semi-retirement, right? Retiring early can just be um, yeah. doing whatever you want with your time, whether that's building your business or 
working part-time somewhere because you like working with, you know, rescue animals or whatever it can look like for you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. And then of course, it's about options. Yeah. Yes. No, options are definitely the yeah. whole point of the fire movement. Um, yeah. And then the, the last thing that, you know, is often a question that I get is how much house can I afford? Uh, I wish I had mm. a 10 day email series on this because it's just as complicated a question as student loans. Uh, but, yeah. you know, when we're thinking about this is a huge, you know, a, a huge financial decision for a lot of families. It can be very stressful, especially if you are trying to incorporate a career transition. And so thinking yep. about, you know, how much mortgage can you afford, especially after you leave, you know, your, your well-paying lawyer secure job and how much can you reasonably save for a down payment? Um, how much of a down payment do you actually need? Uh, you know, it's often not what you think, um, but what other costs are going to crop up with your new home and how does this home fit into a long-term financial strategy? You know, I think real estate uh, is an interesting area of investing, but it is an investment, right? And so, you know, thinking about how can your home be part of a longer term financial plan is really important when you feel like you're strapped and you have to make choices about where your limited resources are going to go. But this Mm. is also an emotional decision, right? We never want people to be in a home that they feel unsafe in, that they feel uncomfortable in. Um, but we also don't want you to be in a home that makes you financially uncomfortable. And so paying attention to not only how much house can you afford today, but how much house is going to feel comfortable when you make some of these changes, that's a conversation that, you know, needs to be had and needs to be baked into whatever planning you're doing now. And so I think, you know, with all of these big financial decisions, there are big financial decisions, even if everything in your life remains static, But for all of our lives, especially the folks listening to this podcast or anyone who follows me, they're thinking about making some kind of a change. And so that is going to cause stress, but that doesn't mean we can't figure it out, at least to some degree, and give you some comfort that things are going to be okay. I feel so at peace, Jessica. That just made me feel like, oh, everyone will just feel really at peace now that Jessica's taking care of us. That is what I hope because I felt so out of sorts when I was doing this on my own as an attorney. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, no, foolish. it just feels like the sort of deep beyond of mystery, you know, and it's demystifying all of it for for people. That is the hope. It everything is figure outable, and sometimes it's easier if you have an expert helping you figure it out. Yeah, so true, so true. So Jessica, where can people find you if they need your help? Oh, well, I have, you can come find me on my website at www.jessicamedinallc.com. Uh, I'm going to have a cheat sheet for people who are thinking of crafting their own exit plan. Of course, I can craft it for you. But if you want to do some of that work on your own, just go to my website backslash exit and you'll have you'll see the five steps that I take my own clients through We're going to talk about all of the different financial strategies and emotional strategies that we talked about on this podcast, Uh, but that way you can do the work yourself. And if you decide that you need more help, you know exactly where to find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time again to be on the podcast. It is, as always, a total pleasure chatting with you, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Megan. I'm so excited for your folks to be making these transitions. And yes, not everyone has to take a pay cut. Just start a business. Megan can help you. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jessica.